0: Chapter two. Although I'm not going to be reading from Ruth two, we're still there. And um, let me just give you a quick synopsis, and then we're going to go into, by God's grace, the idea of God's workings. God's workings. The book of Ruth, one of the most beautiful, known, poetic, profound, revelatory enlightening pieces of literature ever written in the history of the world. It speaks of a man named Elimelech who at a time of famine in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, Judah meaning house of bread and there was no bread in the house of bread. And instead of finding out were the Israelites being judged because God would send famine... ...to his people during times of disobedience. There's no mention of repentance. There's no mention of godly sorrow. But he picks his family up and he moves to Moab... ...which was a place that God disdained. It was a place born of incest. A place where God had said, Moab is my washpot he pictured a town and he said, Moab is the place where the bath water comes off of a person and, uh, or off of himself. And then it pours into this pot. It's one to be avoided. But Elimelech went to solve a temporal problem, paying eternal prices to do it. And he moved to Moab and he had bread, but he didn't have anything else. Be careful when you are tempted to satisfy a temporary, urgent need with something that's way too expensive. Like uh, uh, Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He gets to Moab. They stay there for several years. His sons, Killion, I want to say Million because it rhymes. It's Million Vanilli, but I don't think that's it. <laughs> Killion and somebody. Who? Malon. Malon, Malon and Kilion. These look 20-year-olds. Who's Millie Vanilla? Just look it up, baby. <laughs> it, it was quite the scandal. Uh, <laughs> I can break out my dreads right now and teach you a dance. Uh, they married in Moab, found two wives. And while they were in Moab, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And then the son died, Malon, and then Killian, and whichever order, they all died there. And then Naomi hears that there is, God is visiting his people again with bread. And she takes Orpah, who is one of the daughter-in-laws, and Ruth, and tells them that she's going back home. They start the journey with She said, look... Don't, don't follow me back here. Go back to your gods. What are you going to wait for me to raise up sons again? And then you marry them. And so Orpah said, that's all I was waiting on was an easy out. She left and Naomi uh, Ruth began to quote those famous lines. Ask me not to depart from you. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And may God judge me. If anything but death separates us. They get back to Bethlehem. God has visited his people with bread. They greet her at the gate. Naomi, is that you? Don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because I left full, but God has brought me back empty. And, you know... uh, I imagine the girls got together after Naomi left, said, I ain't seen her in 10 years. And that's all they got was, don't call me Naomi. Something's happened to her. She's, She's changed. But God was working. And then they relocate. And they wake, uh, Ruth wakes up one morning and she says, I'm just going to go glean in a field. Because she's starting to come into not just connection with God's people, but an awareness of God's laws, which teach that at the time of harvest, when a man harvests the grain of his field, he's not supposed to touch the corners, round it off, leave the corners for the poor and anything that falls. And she said, and I'm just going to go glean in a field. God's working in unknown things. And she shows up in this field. She later meets Boaz. We're at the place now. The relationship romantically has not started, but there's already connectivity. There's already the spotting of her, the knowing about her, the commanding of the boys there. He had a meeting with all the guys. He goes, don't touch her. Leave her be. And he said, as a matter of fact, leave handfuls on purpose for her. And uh, Ruth comes home with three gallons of beat-out grain. And Naomi goes, whose field have you been in? She said, a man named Boaz. She goes, oh, yeah, he's one of our kinsmen. Stay there. And Boaz told her, don't go to another field. So that pretty much summarizes up to now. And if you missed any of those lessons, uh, you get uh, those and and catch up with us. But I want to take a principle here. And you can start from the beginning And add the word. Our word for today is workings. W-O-R-K-I-N-G-S. We've given one word for each message. And by God's grace, I want to speak to you on the subject of workings. Stand with me. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I know we only have 30 minutes to go, but I can get it done. It don't have to be eternal to be eternal, baby. It can can happen. What's that post-apocryphal book? Blessed is he that's short-winded, for he shall be heard again. Yeah. We got visitors going, what is he talking about? It's the strangest guy. Now, don't read this through a Pentecostal, charismatic TBN, ESPN, ABC, CBS Christian view. Just read it as it states. Romans 8:28. And we know, mark that in your Bible, not think. Not hope, not praying towards. This is like knowing a fact, accounting. Count it all joy. No, we know these things. That all, mark that in your Bible. We know that all things, not some, not most, not just visible, not just obvious. All things work. I want you to see that in your Bible. Work. Say it with me. Work. Not happen, work. Christians like magic. We like to come to the altar. It's double portion night. And some preacher goes, mm. well, what if you want a triple portion? That's Thursday. <laughs> and you got to come get under my hand and you got to give money to me under the 777 plan. If you give $7 for seven days, it means you're stupid. is what it means, really. <laughs> it, because you're connecting, you're connecting man in a way. Listen, ministry is about the moment, not the man. It's about the Christ, the power of Christ, and the idea that God is working in my life. You ask for an oak tree, God gives you an acorn. He says, work it. Work it. Everything I do for you, everything I give to you is pregnant with life to bring forth whatever you need. You have been given all spiritual blessings in heaven through Christ Jesus. Everything you need is within you and can come from above. And I want you to know that all things work. How can you tell God is working? By things. Things. All things work together. Harmony. Harmonious. Together. Interdependent. Interlocking. All things working together for good. Yes, it can be temporal good. But it's always eternally good. The things that God is doing in your life, they're working not worked, working together for good to those that love the Lord. This is critical. You have to love the Lord and be called according to His purpose. There has to be not only a revelation of God, but the housing of God, a love for God and a submission to God. And when you know the Lord, you love the Lord and you are submitted to Him, you have a promise that if you believe will will keep your mind and hearts in Christ Jesus. It recalibrates you and pushes out anxiety and fear. You say, God is working. God is at work, and he's working all things together. Bad things, evil things, sorrowful things, painful things, good things, timely things, out of season things. He wastes no variables. I want to speak to you for a few moments. Just stand with me a little bit longer, and I'll pray for myself on the idea of workings. Father, if you've done anything in my life, you've proven this verse to me. You took the worst things in my life and you wove them into a fabric of great joy. You, you, you wove dead things into li- living things, painful things into joyful things. And Lord, I, I've learned that all the things work together. My sorrowless life will not happen until I get to heaven. But until that time, I know you're working. Anoint me this morning, Lord. Work in me that I might work out this word for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Quick commercial. Last night, the men went to Buckner's. I was embarrassed of these guys. <laughs> embarrassed. And I got up to leave. I was so taken aback, because, you know, one of them had a Christ Chapel shirt on. That's the first thing you do if you ever got a bad attitude, or you just check the few of your shirts on, and they just ate so much, I got up to leave, and then they brought the peach cobbler, so I came back just to sit <laughs> and make sure that there wasn't any harm done. Anyway, in the life of Ruth, God was at work in their history. Naomi's Judaism, And Ruth's paganism. God was at work in their circumstances. In the famine. And then the bread that was given. God was at work in their weaknesses and disobedience. It was in a rebellion or carnality. That Ruth was brought into the lineage of Jesus Christ. God was at work in their relationships. Ever changing. Adding husbands. Burying husbands. That's a different sermon. We'll get to it later. God was at work in their heart. Naomi's bitterness and Ruth's optimism. God was at work in their pain, loss, and grief. God was at work bringing them news of hope and better days. And God was at work making sure that his purposes would not, could not, and did not fail. Number one, God's workings are according to divine plan. You hear this, but if you're to unpack it, it's staggering. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for the world collectively. That all things would be reconciled unto Jesus Christ. And he has a general plan for you to be engrafted into the Israelite, uh, the vine into the branch, and then God would reconcile all things unto his, son, where there, unto his son, where there'd be neither Jew nor Greek nor bond nor free, but he also has individual plans and intentions and purposes for your life, divine plans. By the time you realize what you like, you are just learning what God has deposited. I'm a daddy. I started late, but I'm a daddy. I don't want anyone not to know what a father's touch or a father's voice or an affirmation, or an encouragement, or a gift feels like, by the time, see, we think just, oh, I just, I like that. Why? Because the one that engineered you, that created you according to blueprint, knew that you would find your fulfillment in his design. That's why it's critical that we're not confused about male and female. That's why, because he designed us first of all the biological, but then the leanings and the things that moves you, and the giftings and the abilities that you have. That's why most of you know our hairdressers are sweet and talk, because you're sitting in. The, if you can't talk in your hairdresser, you're out to lunch. You know that's why most of our mechanics aren't sanguine. They open that hood and go, get these people out of here. Don't come by the chain. Because if I'm talking to you, I might cross your wire. You see, by the time you understand who you are, you're just you're coming to the awareness of God's plans and intentions and how He's going to work in your life. These plans for you individually, they're not just predetermined. They're intentional. They're systematic. They're intricate. They're continuous. They recalculate. These plans God has for you, are, they, they are revealed through desire. What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What makes you feel fulfilled? That's how God designed you. I know that God has designed me, and I say this very meekly and humbly, because I know I am not multi-gifted at any level, at any level. But can I be very transparent with you? Even as a little boy, when I was little, little, I was like... The first eight years of my life, and don't laugh because it's the truth. I know you don't believe me looking up at this big man. Don't judge me. I have a thyroid issue. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not. It's. I was always the smallest guy in my class except for two years out of eight. What? Truth. True debt. It's the truth. But all those years when we go to recess and you go to pick teams, John, you be a captain. John, You pick. You pick. Now, I was a stellar athlete, but that wasn't the only thing. I always found that even when I didn't have anything to say, God gave me a platform. You see what I'm saying? He reveals, I'm I'm going to, John, I'm going to give you an ability, even though you're not educated or articulate, people will get you. You'll be able to communicate, okay? For your life, Lord, what am I supposed to do? It's connected to what makes you feel alive. Ruth, coming into faith, knowing nothing but being brand new, met Boaz and all she had was there's something right about this. That's a far stretch. I know what the world's saying. Oh, you believe in a divine God and every human life is special. Yes, one of a kind. One of a, nobody makes a thingamajig I just made this thingamajig and I just think it ought to be worth $49.95 but if you're one of the first 100 callers you can get two for $49.95. What does it do? Oh I don't know. What? I just made it. I just thought it might be worth $50. That, that insults your intelligence. But the world would have you believe that God would knit you together in your mother's womb and not have a plan or a design. God is working in your life to bring out the deposits that may still be buried. Some are latent. Some will happen later. But to wring out of your life all the glory for Jesus Christ that he can. And to know that God has a plan. Well, John, how does that help us? How, what is, it's, the, it's, it's when you go to bed at night and you summarize all of your feelings and the things you know and don't know and said, Lord, whatever your plans are for me in my life, do them. Whoever I'm supposed to be with, let me know. Wherever I'm supposed to work, use my life, oh, Lord. God's workings, these workings are according to plan. And those of us that are type A, I like to know we have a plan. Get in the car with some of these people. Let's just go. No GPS, no map. Even before there were cell phones, no map. And take joy. In, oh, that must have not been it. That must have not been it. That's one word. <laughs> After the fourth turn, somebody give me a plan. We're cooking, and you don't have a recipe. Now, these grandmas, they don't need a recipe. Get out of the way. They know when to add a pinch. They stick the thing in and touch stuff, and they make it all happen. But these young people don't have a recipe. I'd like to know this plan. I'd like to see your kitchen and know we had a plan for hygiene. I'd like to know <laughs> that there's some plans up in here. NASA, no plan. Ernie here knows what it's supposed to sound like. I'd like to see some blueprints before I get in that rocket. You see? Now, I'm being silly to drive home a point because you'll remember it, you know. By the way, just look it up. Scientists tell you that if you laugh or have pleasure there in the moment, it'll, it'll stick in your head. Okay, what? how would it change how you live life if you knew God was working in everything according to a plan? My plans that I have for you, John. Jeremiah 29, what? The plans I have. Number two, God's workings are according to perfect knowledge. Isaiah 46.10 says, God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Perfect knowledge, a perfectly current, perfectly adjusting. And what do you mean he adjusts the plan? Not, not the end, the variables. What if someone walks out? The plan remains. Listen, for those of you that experience rejection or loss, No one that left or died can alter the plan of God for your life. Because the plan existed before they did. Isn't that good? Perfectly adjusting, perfectly efficient, nothing wasted, nothing wasted. I can't, it's no secret to my friends, Michael's put together so many things for us and Wade. I can't put anything together. I just, I freeze. I freeze when I I get in the floor and you dump all the stuff out and I go, (sighs) I can do a mortgage in my head, but I can't put together a toy. I'll ask God about that later. Uh, Now, where was I? See? Perfectly efficient, nothing wasted. But what troubles me is my good friends, and both of them have done it, who are very skilled at what they do. I say, what are those? Them's parts. <laughs> we'll need them. Whoa, 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 whoa. If they're in the box, we need them. They're on the pay- No, no, you don't need them. What we all know is that somewhere down the line, something's going to lean, something's going to tick, something's not going to... I know that God uses, listen, every part, every tear, every sorrow, every joy, nothing wasted. My whole life is a symphony being conducted by the master conductor, and he uses every note to bring glory to him. Flawed notes, unspeakable notes, lonely notes, private notes. He's working all these together according to perfectly knowledge. Perfect knowledge. And this plan is perfectly preserved. It's perfectly sovereign, independent of all others, totally separate, set apart. The gifts and call of God are without repentance, which means the thing I put in you and the thing I've prepared for you to do, I will never change my mind. That's why I'll just use us visible people on the platform. That's why when a preacher fails, like everyone else out there, if he humbles himself and he repents and God forgives, even if the people don't give him a second chance, he can take his trembling hands up to a pulpit feeling like worse than something under your shoe and he can open his mouth and Share the living word of God and it be anointed because God is greater than his flaws and greater than his failures and greater in his weakness. And one of the things about doing ministry publicly you may not know is we don't have the luxury of doing it before we're good and mature. Still ain't there. Still not there. But these workings... When you, when you read that God is omniscient he knows everything at every moment of every second of time and knows what to do with everything and knows when to do with everything what he's going to do and cannot make a mistake. And you toss in the 100,000 variables of other people who have free will and your brain short circuits. It just goes back to this. You're working all things, not separate, together for my good. Ruth is going to look back over her shoulder and trust me, those of you in your 20s and 30s, where are you? Trust me. If the Lord allows and you live long enough to be white headed, you'll look back over your shoulder and go, I didn't see it then. I didn't see why you closed that door. And now, and your hands go up in worship. Great are you, Lord. I didn't see why you opened that door. Great are you, Lord. I had no idea that you were working when I was unaware. I had no idea you were working when I was unappreciative. When others said you weren't working. When I feared you weren't working. When I told you you weren't working. You weren't waiting on my approval or my recognition. You were keeping your word all along. And the word was all things work together. For good. Good. What does that mean? In the moment? No. In the end. If you judge things as they happen... You know, that's why you say, I got some good news and bad news. Well, what's the bad news? I wrecked the car. What's the good news? None of your babies are hurt. You see? You got to wait till the end of the story. Stop judging your life in the middle chapters. Wait till the end of the movie. The Bible says the end of the righteous is blessedness. The end. Number three, God's workings are all interconnected. Interconnected. With other divine works, with other previous works, and with future works, they're culminations of works. Sometimes the culmination of one thing God is working is the preparation for another. You've heard me tell these stories all along, but this is my life story. I move into a house, 3597 Overlook Avenue. I find out that my driveway is the bus stop which they forgot to mention in the realtor's comments. I, I get the house, go out and meet all the kids, start feeding them, and my son was in the driveway. A little boy that would win my heart and come move in my home. I'd put him through private school and, and college and put braces on him. And, you know, braces, that's, that's a whole other thing. And I just, I'd just i tell him, I'd say, smile for me, Jimmy. Smile for me. It's good. I just want, I just want to see where I was going. So now look. You look back over your shoulder and you say, oh, you were house hunting and you... No! He put the desire in the heart to relocate because if I didn't relocate, I couldn't get to the boy. And if I couldn't get to the boy, he wouldn't come into my home. And if he didn't come in my home, he wouldn't know the Christ. And if he didn't know the Christ, he wouldn't be a godly man and a godly school teacher and a godly husband. Now, the uh, adopted... He's the father of an adopted girl, just like I engrafted him. And I see it all together. I said, oh, you were working these things out. Look, and they're all interconnected. You better, everybody you meet, Lord, what's, what, what's about this? Every time there's a closed door, why, why'd you close this door? Some of you are so upset about closed doors, and you need to remember you can't go but through one door at a time. And I've learned that if a door slams and I'm praying, I'm asking God to guide me, bam, then I've seen his hand because the same hand that opened doors, closed it. And listen, you think an open door is unmistakable? When you're walking in, there, boom, thanks you, Lord. You know it, ain't no going, th- well, if the Lord closes the door, I'm going through a window. I would advise you based on experience not to do that. Wisdom is born in those people that crawl through windows. Crawling through a window when God's closed the door is the equivalent of hearing Billy Bob say, Hey, watch this. That's the equivalent. The same, the same results. God is doing several things at the same time. They're interconnected with other dependent and seemingly independent works with various kinds of people, known and unknown. See, I had to give my life to the Lord as an adult at Northside Assembly of God because there was a pastor there that was going to hire me. At six months of being saved, the youth pastor quit, and I was like, I want the job. Now, anybody with the mentality of a freshwater trout wouldn't have hired me. Six months. All the alcohol hadn't worked out of my system. I still cussed a little. You know, I ain't got it all. I don't want to be a youth pastor. And so, he, you know, he, well, I would ask for a resume. But <laughs> you know, I'm trying, I'm showing you how absurd this is. So he tells the board, you know, they had back then nine board members for 300 people, which is another story in itself. And all nine of them rightfully said, no, he's not going to be the youth pastor. And the Lord visited him in his heart, not audibly. He said, hire him, my hand's on his life. And so he hired me. And since I didn't know anything, and since I really couldn't do anything, do you know what my portfolio or my responsibility was? This is the truth. He said, okay, I want you to come to the office Monday through Friday, every day, coat and tie. And back then, that's, again, when you dressed up. Um, nine, nine to 12 if you're not in your office studying your Bible or praying, you're fired. So what are you telling us, John? Well, that started the devotional, the discipleship, the hunger for the word, the starting, the writing, the sermons. But it had to be this church because this church, most churches would have had me doing busy work, and I had to get my traction, and it had to be a church where it wasn't important that the board knew me as long as the pastor heard God's voice. And, and you, you look back and you realize how interconnected it was. In college, the girl... Uh, some of the girls that I dated, I look at now and realize, had I took that path, I would have been disqualified from ministry because it would have been impossible to walk together in agreement if one goes this way and one goes this way. Everything's connected. What would happen to you if you could see every closed door as a precursor to an open one? I, if, if you could hang this on your refrigerator today in faith and say, I don't know, I just know that God's working. And he's working all things. And he's working it together for my good. All things. What part of all don't we get? Ruth she would tell you, I never dreamt. I never, I just thought Melion was cute, you know? I didn't know that I would be the great, great, great grandmother of King David. Do you understand? That the people God has placed in your life and the homes that he put you in, sometimes it wasn't because that dad was perfect or that mom was perfect, but that mama had one trait that was going to be deposited in you that was going to change generations that flowed from you. And we're looking for perfect childhood, and God's looking for perfect, perfect pieces. Deposits, 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 deposits. Lincoln Weech had to be my ordaining elder, an unknown man really in the assemblies of God, a simple man, a quiet man. And when I was ordained in the assemblies of God, I knelt down in front of him and he commissioned me, he gave me my Bible, he said, preach the word, John, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he laid his hands upon me. It had to be Lincoln Weech because he was a pioneer pastor. And everywhere he went, he pioneered churches. And now from this house, humbly I tell you, 12 Christ chapels all across the world. But if I did not have that man's influence and that impartation that I did not know about, I had to meet Steve at camp because Steve was Lincoln's son. And by meeting Steve, I met Lincoln and developed a relationship and that ordaining elder put his hands upon me. Listen to your pastor. It's all connected. It's all connected. Jason, I had to see you at Downtown Grill. I had to. Because if I didn't see you that night and make that deposit and make that connection, you wouldn't have showed up here and God's touched your life. And he's unpacking those gifts and abilities. Any of y'all sat in on Jason's class? Isn't the hand of God wonderful in his life? I'm not saying this to boats. I'm just showing you. I'm just showing you little variables. And I hope this doesn't embarrass him. But I hardly knew him when I was the youth pastor, I just thought about this it's not in my notes at Northside Assembly, he was a little boy, and it just so happened at this time in his life, he needed a male voice. And one day I took just one day, I took him fishing. He's just a little kid. I can't remember where we went or whatever. but the connection was made. See, I had to make a connection. So that later on, when I saw him at downtown grill and he's in his 20s, he remembers that man that took him fishing so I could speak into his life and him come to church and center his life again. And see, I thought it was just fishing grief. I thought we just went fishing. He said, no, it's all connected. John, I'm work. I'm prompting you to invite that person to lunch because they need that one kind word. And you think I'm being dramatic. You think I'm exaggerating, but you won't know till heaven that one kind word kept them from taking their life. That lunch kept them from taking their life. You, you were the commercial that day. You thought you just bought them a salad, but they looked at you and said, if God sustains you in all your brokenness, I don't need to end my life early. I need to continue on and see what God has for me. It's all interconnected. If our musician would come, broke, if you would come, please. God's workings are often hidden. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to stop here. I've got two more. Can I do a workings part two next week? Is that okay? There's just so much here, I don't want to hurry through it. I'm not going to try to make this mystical. I, 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 want, I want to try to articulate it. To the best of my ability. And it's probably going to fall short. But I have two primary voids in my life. That are just as large today as they ever were. The loss of my dad. And the rejection of my wife. Those two things prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, those those two holes. The loss of my dad is just as real today as when I was a little boy. I'm not looking for your sympathy or sorrow. I'm laying my soul out. This is like pajamas being up here, okay? I've never had a male voice in my life. Older than me, like dad age. I've never had a male voice of affirmation. I've never had a, come here son, let me help you. Now, my dad was that, but he died when I was a little boy. Okay. That loss and emptiness became a vacuum that has pushed me to be that for other people. And I dare tell you. That the yield on my life today. Is greater. Because of the loss. Because I don't care what age you are. You need a daddy. I'll, I'll substitute. That don't mean I can take over. I'll love you. I'll listen to you. I'll take you out. I'll, I'll support you when you start to see how everything is connected the driveway I'll finish with this and those of you bear with me that have been with me 20 years you know all this but the new people don't do you know how Christ Chapel was started with no vision dream angel Jimmy and two other little boys Caleb and some other boy Aaron isn't it funny how you remember stuff 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and you can't remember what you had for supper, you know, although we did have chicken last night. Uh. <laughs> they would knock on my door after school. they get off the bus, and they say, can Mr. John come outside and beat us up? And that's how they would knock on the door. And I would get out in the front yard, and I'd get on my knees. I would, guys, y'all know what I'm about to tell you how fun this is. I would throw them across the yard. <laughs> you know, they're like nine, I am like, and you hear them, oh, and the wind come out. Of, you said, beat you up. So, you know, we just wrestle with them and play with them until they got tired. And then every now and then you give them a real one, a real shot, like a, you know, two of them. Yeah. So one day we're done wrestling. And little Jimmy Sanderson said, Mr. John, when can I go to church with you? Because I'm always talking about God and God loves them and God has a plan for them. So there's no cell phones back then. This is 94. I opened my little day timer. Do you all remember those? The little, I opened my little day timer. And I, to, I, can, I can take you to the spot in the front yard. 3597 Overlook. And I opened my day timer and I said, I can take you in three months. And when I told him that, time stopped, the page turned, and I said, No, I'll take you Sunday. I walked inside and told my wife, I said, we have to start a church for these neighborhood boys. That was it. That was it. No plan, no education, no training, no demographic study, no dream team, just the connection and God working. So, 11 kids, don't judge me, in the back of my red pickup truck sliding from one end to the other. Shannon Peak was one of them. She can vouch for this. Caleb, Boo Boo, Aaron, Matt, Jimmy. We started our church. John, what are you telling us today? God is working. It's all connected. Don't try to unpack the story in chapter eight when it's not going to be revealed till chapter eleven. Ruth would tell you. I just thought. I was gonna start over. I never dreamed of Boaz. I never dreamed, didn't know till I got home to heaven of King David and Jesus Christ. I never, I never dreamed of those things. Before Wave praise, I want to give you this verse. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. Comma, not period. But God reveals them to you through his spirit. And he goes, this is what I've done. John, they called you sterile. You got three babies praying for a fourth one. And don't think for one minute that one biological child could ever replace the babies I have. Them's mine. They look like me. Them's mine. Y'all stand with us this morning. Right before Wade prays, would you do this? Would you do this? Not just a spectator this morning. Would you take 30 seconds and summarize? Lord, I hear you saying to me, and then just say it out loud, loud enough for you to hear yourself say it.
1: Heavenly Father, you're asking us today to trust you. To put aside our ideas of what it should be or how it should end, how it should work. And to trust you that you are working. Help us to trust, Lord. For some of us, we doubt it. Help us to trust it. God, for some of us, we've seen it. Help us to rejoice in it. God, for others, we long, we hunger for it. Lead us through it. God, would you take us today into your trusting? Would you take us today deeper this week into trusting you in all things that you would bring back to our remembrance what you've already done so we can rejoice about what you're going to do. And we thank you today. Go with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget to come back tonight for our um, PM service. And if you want to pray with us tonight, please come and pray at five o'clock.